0: Well, good morning guys uh, my name is David Brandt um, uh, when Cameron asked me to read the scripture uh, for today I um, I had to do it outside it was so sunny this morning so um, it's good to it's good to be a part of this um, uh, I hope you're able to get outside in the Sun this weekend as well um, we'll be reading a short uh, passage in Mark uh, so if you want to um, flip to it in your Bibles uh, we're reading mark uh, 1. 12 and 13 okay immediately the holy spirit forced him out into the wilderness he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted to do evil by satan and he was with the animals and the angels ministered continually to him all right let's pray dear lord jesus thank you so much for um a beautiful day Uh, And uh, for this passage and for the message that uh, Cameron's going to uh, give, please be with each and every one of us uh, as we hear the word and um, let it sink into our hearts, sink into our thoughts uh, as we go about our next week. Um, Help us remember your patient love uh, and uh, remember that uh, temptations exist, uh, and we only need to rely on you more uh, when they uh, come across us. Um, thank you, Lord Jesus, for um, all of your gifts and your blessings to each and every one of us each day. Um, we love you so much. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks, guys.
1: Good morning, Door of Hope Northeast. My name is Cameron. It's great to be with you. Um... Hey, empathy is a bit of a buzzword right now, uh, but, but honestly, for, for very good reason. Um, and boiled down, empathy just means the ability to share in the feelings of others. Um, the, when, when someone uses the phrase, a lack of empathy, that's usually trying to put words to like that, that deep sense of frustration or pain uh, that comes with, with, with just feeling isolated, feeling totally unseen feeling unconnected with in your pain, in your uh, grief, uh, even in your joy, whatever your feelings may be, positive or negative. Um, It's difficult when you don't receive empathy and connection and the sharing in of that emotion with the people that you're closest to. Um, Have you ever (laughs) been in an experience? I'm assuming you have. I think this is par for the course for humanity, but have you ever had that your tears met with just silence and blank stares and just a total miss of what you were going through. Or, or on the opposite side, you was like your enthusiastic excitement for something just met with sort of confusion and questions and dismissal or silence or whatever. Um, I'm sure we've all had that experience of coming to a best friend or a roommate or a spouse or whoever, um, just, just with something weighty um and just feeling somehow unable to connect through it like I, I want to share this with you but i we just we can't connect over this for some reason but if this happens enough times then a subtle message gets received um the message is i'm alone <laughs> uh, no one understands no one cares um, and, and why, if that's your experience over and over again, why should you think otherwise? Uh, it makes sense. So, so giving and receiving empathy is like massively important <laughs> for all of us and, and in each of our relationships. And it's actually one of the implied and assumed kind of goods that comes with healthy relationships behind God's statement when he said, it is not good that man should be alone. Um, so today's passage from Mark, in part, we'll, get, we'll see why, is a reminder of why that is the case. Dave already read it for us. Uh, the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. It's two short verses. It's probably going to be, hopefully, shorter sermon than is typical, but it has a lot for us nonetheless. So, we start with that opening verse, verse 12, "...the Spirit immediately drove Jesus out into the wilderness." Um, and last week, last week's sermon was really, as we talked about, was this kind of coronation ceremony where, like, the Son of God is revealed in all of His Trinitarian glory, where He's shown to be the beloved Father or the beloved Son of the Father and the one anointed by the Spirit of God. And we got this sort of peek behind the curtain at the triune love relationship within God that's existed for all time. That's crazy um, and beautiful and amazing. But it was also this kind of coronation ceremony where, where if, you, if you had the ears to hear and if, if you knew kind of your Psalms and your Old Testament, you could see that, whoa, like this is actually the declaration of this Jesus as the King, like he's the Messiah. He is the one we've been waiting for. And so it was this, this kind of like, you know, mountaintop moment, this deep, spiritual, wonderful, amazing kind of capstone moment that kicks off Jesus's ministry. And so the question is, this, hap- this is going to happen a lot in Mark, and uh, as it happened a lot in the life of Jesus, like what would you expect would happen if you go from this moment of glory to what, what's next? Where do you go from there? Um, well, uh, the spirit, <laughs> it says, the very first thing the spirit spirit did then, after coming upon him, resting on him, floating above him like a dove, you know, that beautiful image, first thing it does is send him into the desert, send him into the wilderness. Um, and if you know anything about the wilderness, I, I don't know what your assumption is. We're Portlanders, uh, so so typically we're an outdoorsy bunch. When we think of wilderness, it's like exciting opportunity. Like, oh my gosh, we go out there, we can go for a nice hike, we can go camp, we can just go enjoy it, like, and that's great, that's wonderful. Um, but uh, in the ancient Near East, <laughs> like, the idea of the wilderness was not met with sort of uh, Oh, oh, that sounds leisurely and fun and like a great way to go and connect out in nature. It's danger. The idea would be danger. Um, wilderness is a place of danger. It's a place of suffering. It's a place of, of, of potential harm as you're removed from the safety that society and you know, the towns and villages would bring. Um, you're out exposed amongst the, the wild animals. Um, you know, there's potentially robbers or whatever else that could take advantage of you. You're more vulnerable basically in every level. And there's also this idea that the wilderness was the place where even like demons and and evil spirits like to congregate and so forth. So when you would say wilderness, you would immediately think that's not good. That's not good. And that I think is what we're supposed to think here when the spirit drives him out. So the first thing the spirit of God did after coming upon the Messiah King was send him to suffer. That's what we're to see here. And verse 13 goes on. It says, And he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted or tested by Satan. And he was with the wild animals. And we'll pause there. Um. So, so 40 days in the wilderness, That that's interesting. Um, If, if, again, if you um, have read a lot of Bible, and it's okay if you haven't, but if you have, you're probably, you know, the spidey sense is tingling a little bit, like 40 days, that's interesting. I mean, 40 days is massive sort of image. Uh, The flood rained for 40 days and nights uh, around uh, Noah's flood. Moses fled to the desert after killing a man for 40 years. Moses was on Mount Sinai for 40 days and nights. Moses interceded for Israel for 40 days and nights. The Israelite spies um, that were sent into Canaan spied for 40 days before they brought back their report. Israel served Philistine for 40 years. Uh, Goliath, you know, waited for 40 days before David came out to challenge him. When Elijah fled from Jezebel, he traveled 40 days and nights to Mount Horeb. and there were 40 days between Jesus's resurrection and his ascension where he appeared to the disciples. So uh, there's there's a little cross section there. It's a significant number. Maybe other than the number seven, it's perhaps the most significant kind of loaded number uh, and, and repetitious number in the Bible. Um, but there's two specific things I want to specifically bring out that I, I think are probably in, in the background of what... Mark is highlighting here and and what even God was highlighting and orchestrating history this way. Um, First is that uh, Israel wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. If you remember, um, before being able to head into the promised land, uh, their idolatry was revealed, their hearts were revealed and they were actually punished and kept from going in there. there was a period of 40 years of continual sort of struggle and testing and revelation of who they are and what was going on in their hearts before they could actually go in to the land. Um, Another one that doesn't have the 40 days thing going on, uh, but if you remember Genesis one, like we already, I think we touched on the kind of the loose parallels between the baptism of Jesus and Genesis one creation story but you've got the Father speaking, you've got the Spirit hovering over the waters, you've got the Word of God in action, um, and you've got the creation story. And then what happens after the creation account and then Genesis 2, a more detailed account of of the creation of of man and woman, uh, they're tempted by Satan. And similarly here, we we have uh, this baptism scene, the Father speaks, the Spirit hovers, uh, the Word of God is there, and it's this, almost this new creation kind of thing, this inauguration of the new work that Jesus is going to do. And tempted by Satan immediately after. So there's, there's a deep, it isn't just a random event. That's my point. What's happening here is imbued with deep significance. It's, it's picking up cycles and themes from the story that God has been telling uh, since the beginning of the scriptures, and, and, and Jesus is reconstituting them in and of himself. And, he's, and we're going to get to see, like, how, how does Jesus do when placed in these scenarios? Um, and I, there's two kinds of adversity that Jesus walks into here. We see first is the spiritual adversity. He, he faces off against Satan or to Satana in the Greek, which is just a word that means the adversary or the accuser, which became a technical term, uh, a name even, Satan. Um, Sometimes he's called the devil, he's he's called all kinds of things. But this is the word that means the adversary or the accuser. And Jesus is here. He's being accused, he's being challenged, he's being tempted, he's being all kinds of things. We get more context for this in Luke and in Matthew where they actually get into the details of, of some of what Satan actually said. To Jesus and how he tried to tempt and test Jesus. Um, Mark doesn't give us that. Mark doesn't give us that. For, for our purposes now, we're, we're just going to roll with Mark and say what, what we see here is a is spiritual, um, spiritual adversary, I mean Satan, the one who is the embodiment of, of, of all that is in opposition to God and his program. He's, he's personal evil. He's evil personified. He's rebellion against God personified. He comes and he challenges Jesus. He tempts him. But it's not just spiritual adversity. Uh, it's also physical adversity. And, and we, we touched on this, but he's not only in the wilderness, but now we see Mark even highlights the fact that he was with the wild animals. Um, that was a scary proposition to be out amongst the wild beasts, unable to protect yourself and defend yourself. And the, the image should be just, oh my gosh, like, if, if we're reading the story for the first time of Mark, and you don't have all the spoilers about what's, what's going to happen, you'd be thinking, this guy is in serious danger. That's what we're meant to feel. And to pause there, I just want to note what this means, <laughs> just this short verse here, it's another reminder of a constant theme throughout the scriptures, that Christianity is realistic about suffering. Um... Christianity never pretends that suffering and deep challenges don't exist in life. Um, like, the, this isn't a game. Uh, it speaks into the depths of humans struggling. And it, and yes, it, it, it holds up the idea that because of what Jesus has done, and because God is who he is, and because God has made the promises that he's made, we have a hope beyond the present reality of human suffering. Um, we know that the, the days of suffering um, are limited. They're counted. There will be a final day before God returns to put all things right. And, and he promises <laughs> to wipe every tear from the eye of every one of his people. Like that is what we hope for. but. Um, And that could be, you know, we could be criticized. Oh, that's pie in the sky. That's unrealistic or whatever. Okay. Well, God has made a claim. Jesus made claims and uh, we can either reject them or we can respond to them and trust them. Um, But Christianity never says that suffering will not be a part of this world. In fact, it encourages us at every turn to expect it. To expect to suffer Um, and, and, and if, if the promises, if, if the truth claims that Christianity makes aren't true, then it's useless. Like if, if, if they're, if we're just believing this stuff because, oh, it's kind of nice and it kind of gives me, you know, some purpose or whatever, like I, we don't need it. We don't want it. Um, that's not useful for us. If it's not true, it's useless. Um, more than that. There are also mutated versions of Christianity uh, that exist, like from all kinds of different angles that, that, that in their own ways suggest a life with Christ, like if we're faithful enough, will result in a life of ease. Um, uh, maybe that looks like health and wealth, prosperity. Uh, maybe it means if you're faithful enough, you'll never experience temptation. You can sort of transcend the, 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 the realm of temptation, and, and you're, you've, you've kind of become beyond it, and you don't have to worry about that. Or, or maybe it's that um, the version where there's no real serious concept of temptation or sin, um, where Jesus ever even has the right to challenge the things that you want to do or that I want to do. Um, there's all kinds of different versions of this. Um, but the, this passage reminds us that th- these things can't be true. Um, if, <laughs> if suffering were a reality for the Messiah, if suffering were a reality for the Son of God himself, then we can bank on suffering in our own lives. So there you go. Um, another really interesting, important thing to note here. Is that what what this passage puts forward for us is is the idea that Jesus experienced a genuine temptation, and there is like this whole interesting like uh, complex debate about whether or not Christ could have sinned, could have given in to temptation to sin. Although of course all Orthodox believers would say he did not sin, he he in fact never did sin. But there are interesting debates around whether he could have sort of in the abstract. Um, that's a conversation for another forum. We're not going to get into that right now, but I I do want to just briefly mention two verses, two passages in Hebrews, um, the book of Hebrews that that lends some context here. Hebrews 2, 17 through 18 says this, therefore he, Jesus, had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of, of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. The Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. These two verses make powerful claims that the fact that Jesus really was tempted, really did suffer, it was indispensable, even to the fact of him being able, even to the, for his ability to be able to be our atoning sacrifice, the propitiation for our sins, he had to identify with us so closely, Again, he had to be perfect, he had to be sinless to be a worthy sacrifice, but he had to be tempted, he had to be the suffering servant in order for his, his identification with us to work for it to be meaningful. He had to come and suffer alongside us, and he did. And we don't have a high priest who can't sympathize or even empathize with our weakness. But he's gone through it with us. Um, the story and its parallels are not the only time that Jesus was tempted, we assume. (laughs) Like, we assume he would have regularly been tempted, though always faithful through it. Um, And because of that, it's interesting, C.S. Lewis speculates this, he says, Christ, because he was the only man who never yielded to temptation, is also the only man who knows the full what temptation means, who knows to the full what temptation means. The idea here is that for you and for me, when temptation comes, uh, usually goes a couple of ways. One is uh, probably at our best, You know, we get distracted from it. Or, or maybe we pray and, and the Lord helps us and he, he gives us relief and we can kind of change directions. Probably just as common for many of us, temptation comes, we fight it for a little bit, we, we, we challenge it and then we just give in. Temptation becomes too great, we give in. The idea that Lewis is pointing out is that Jesus, because he, he never gave into it, he experienced the full weight of temptation in a way that we never will. It took him further down the line where we would have just jumped ship and given into it far before, but he experienced the full weight of every temptation that came to him. That's incredible. And then another really beautiful quote, Josh White quotes this all the time, uh, but I wanted to, to bring, it, bring it in as well because it's so beautiful and powerful here. Uh, from Dorothy Sayers in her book, *Creator Chaos, um, she said for whatever reason, God chose to make man as he is limited and suffering and subject to sorrows and death. He had the honesty and the courage to take his own medicine. Whatever game he is playing with his creation, he has kept his own rules and played fair. He can exact nothing from man that he has not exacted from himself. He has himself gone through the whole of human experience, from the trivial irritations of family life and the cramping restrictions of hard work and lack of money to the worst horrors of pain and humiliation, defeat, despair, and death. When he was a man, he played the man. He was born in poverty and died in disgrace and thought it well worth while. That is a powerful quote that's a sanity bringing quote and then one final idea just to comment on this from another another great thinker but in that book on the trinity that we've been reading um, delighting in the trinity michael reeves said this and it's in context talking about the cross but i think it it applies thinking about him subjecting himself to suffering and temptation as well one simple line it slayed me when i read it he said here is a glory no other God would want. The suffering of Christ, the willingness of him to incarnate in human flesh, to come and suffer and to come and experience temptation and human frailty and sorrow and everything else that we experience. Leading all the way up to the cross, Reeves is talking about the cross specifically, but all of this wrapped up together is the the chief thing of his glory. It's where his nature is like so fully seen and his love and his mercy and his self-givingness so clearly seen. But they're seen through his suffering. And Reeve says, this is a glory that no other God would want. Because you don't want it. I don't want it the gods of greek mythology don't want it the gods every other god who's refused to come and do this to come and be sir be servant to come and be slave to come and be humble crucified king no one else wants it but him that's the power of the temptation story and stories of Jesus. That's who he is. We get to see an even clearer picture of who he is, how unique he is. So we're going to conclude here. Um, I want to note that, you know, this this isn't a story chiefly about how you and I can best fight temptation, uh, though of course we're supposed to fight temptation, we are to fight it. In the power of the Spirit, fight temptation, not give in to it. Flee sin with everything we have. That's not what this text is about. In Matthew and Luke, they both include way more detail about the story um, that, that adds some of those elements. You can kind of see Jesus' strategy. They're interesting. You should go re- They're scripture. You should go read them uh, in, in uh, Mark and Luke. But Mark, I'm sorry, Matthew and Luke. But Mark wants us to see something. He, want, he narrows our focus just to see this, these facts about Jesus. There's a story about Jesus and what he's done. First is that he willingly subjected himself to temptation and suffering. Just see it, get it, believe it. He loves you. And, And he knows, he experientially knows what it is to be a human, to face the agony of temptation, to face the agony of suffering, to have unmet sexual desire as a man who, who lived his whole life single, uh, to be rejected by family, um, to have to leave his job, to be, to be betrayed by a closest friend, to be continually misunderstood, to be mocked, to be slandered. We could go on and on and on to be brutally beaten, to be executed by the state. We could go on and on and on, but Jesus knows what it is to be all these things, to experience all these things. And if this is true, you can trust Him. You you can trust when when He speaks to you in His Word or otherwise. You can trust that he has your good in mind. You can trust that he doesn't sit back from a place dispassionately, sort of, oh, yes, I want, I think about this, sort of stroking his beard, um, sort of an armchair, you know, counselor, philosopher, theologian. No. He speaks to you as one who is experienced, who knows. And that lends him even (laughs) a kind of authority. He is authority, he's the creator of the world, of course, but a kind of authority, kind of relational authority no other God has. If all these things are true, you can trust Him. You can trust Him. Second thing we see is that that God continued to care for Jesus even at His lowest moments. Um, Read the last phrase of this passage just very briefly. It says, And the angels were ministering to Him. Um, God did not leave Jesus alone. expressed his care he sent his angels to minister for to jesus even in these these trying moments i mean in the same way that god cared for jesus in these low moments he cares for you this passage is a reminder um, that that god doesn't leave his beloved (laughs) to their own devices Um, he cares and he supplies and of course we have to say this jesus would eventually die Jesus didn't die in the desert. God sustained him. But he did eventually die, as we all too will eventually die, unless we get live to see the return of Christ. Um, But God's loving care will remain for his people even through death and beyond death, just as it did for Jesus. In fact, because it did for Jesus, we know that. That God can care for us and sustain us and bring us life and bring us his goodness and his joy and enfoldment back into his family and his eternal purposes, even beyond death. Death does not reign over him. He reigns over death. That's a reminder that this passage brings us. And that is good news. And if this is true, you can trust this Jesus once again. You can trust this God. Even in the midst of suffering, even if we're killed, you can still trust this God. And then number three, we see that Jesus passed the test. Isn't it odd that the Spirit is the one that sends him into the wilderness and then Satan tests him and tempts him? Um, I believe that this was, in fact, a reconstitution. Jesus is, is showing us here that he is not like Adam and Eve after that moment of creation where they are faced with temptation from Satan, from the serpent, from the evil one from the one opposed to God and His kingdom and His values, um, He's not like them. He maintained His faithfulness to God. He was tempted to the full extent, but He never wavered. And, and like Israel, uh, who ultimately had to spend these 40 years in the wilderness, um, and their their time was met with unsavory revelation. They, they uh, were not shown to be incredibly faithful (laughs) at that time but Jesus was Jesus did his 40 in faithfulness Jesus came to the test and he passed and because he passed this test and every test that was thrown at him uh, we can be saved (laughs) he was fit to save us he showed to the world he shows to you he shows to me he demonstrated to the father he was fit in fact to take our place to function as our atoning sacrifice, to be the victor over sin and evil and death and injustice and everything that flows counter to God. He passed. He passed. And because he passed, we can be saved if we just trust him, if we just follow him. So, there you go. Two short verses. Uh, There's even way more we could say about these things. But for now, I want you to just rest this week in the fact that you've got a Savior, you've got a God who does not sit distant talking about your pain. He's come and he's experienced it. He walks with you now and he promises final victory over it. Read this passage again, reread it, pray over it, meditate on it, get some friends, study it, discuss it, whatever. But may these truths resonate deep in your heart because they're the kinds of truths that if we forget them, it's dangerous. These are the kinds of truths that can sustain us in our suffering, sustain us when we feel misunderstood, sustain us when we're tempted, sustain us when we're tempted to to depart from the things that God has revealed to us. There's kinds of things that help us trust him for the long haul. And that's who we want to be. And that's what we want to do. Amen. Amen. Well, I love you all. Uh, Next week, uh, we will have our uh, March 1st Sunday worship gathering. So if you feel ready and safe and comfortable to come and gather with us, uh, you can register in the newsletter. uh, And hopefully we'll see see a bunch of y'all next Sunday in person. And some of you on the live stream as well. I'll try to give a thumbs up or something to the camera. (laughs) Awesome. Well, have a great week. Take care.